How's everybody doing? How are we? Their sun is out. I know I always comment on the weather, but I feel like as a Clevelander, it's wrong to not. You know what I mean? Because if it's sunny, it does something. Like yesterday, I was feeling myself. It was cold as heck, so I didn't go outside, but I looked out the window with a nice smile. One of my um, New Year's resolutions, as it were, well, more goals. I don't really like it, but I have a mentor, and she was like, you should set goals, so I'm setting goals this year. But one of them is to limit my social media a bit. Isn't that just a really classic 2023 goal? And I think one of the reasons is because, like, social media has become, for me, so reflexive, right? You're scrolling through absolutely nothing. Like, in the first two minutes, you see what's new with the people in your life and the cute pictures of their lunch. I like that. But, like, by minute 20, it's like, what avocado toast are you? You know what I mean? Like, fill out this survey and we'll tell you what breakfast food you like. I know what breakfast food I like. I'm myself. I want a hot stack of blueberry pancakes every Saturday morning. That's how I feel about the situation. And I think I was laughing about, like, you know, people talk about this generation and, oh, they're taking these BuzzFeed quizzes. I'm like, yeah, but back in my day, we were taking those quizzes in magazines. Girls, help me out. Seventeen Magazine, Cosmo? Like, that's not of God. Okay, fine. We all did it, though. But, like, didn't we all? The perfect man for you. And you're going to, like, fill out, like, I like Cheetos or Doritos. And then at the end, it's going to tell you something about yourself that you will never have realized. Right? And even if you're too classy for all that noise, like, you know, all these personality tests we take, right? Because we just want to be known. We want to be known so badly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that is a God-given desire in the heart of people to be known. And I think um, that's one of the things that when you talk about the Old and New Testament and, you know, people can have a bit of a dim view on the Old Testament and who God seemed to be during that time. But the Old Testament is the beginning of the love letter between God and his people. And the Old Testament is full of references to the love of God being poured out on people, even when they were unfaithful. So we're going to talk this morning about two things. One is being known by God, and the other is knowing God. And we're, we're doing it out of our 1 Corinthians series, so we're going to be kind of in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But I think first, to kind of understand the staging of that, we need to go back a little bit. Before we go into the text, will you pray with me that the Spirit of God will be with us? Jesus, we submit ourselves to you. We ask you to open our hearts. Lord, we can't hear from you without your strength. I can't speak your word with power without the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask that for this time, you would rest on us. And that your word would not go out and come back void that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. So here's, here's the first example. Here's a classic. If you've been in the church for a while, you know this one. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Even before we were born, we were set apart. We were known. Even before we were a flutter in our mother's wombs, we were known by God. Psalm 139, 1-3, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all your ways. You're familiar with all my ways. So out of this, kind of this framework of the Old Testament, of God knowing his people and saying over and over, and these are two of a million examples of the knowing of God to us, how he searches our hearts, how he knows our motivations. He knows why we're having a hard time before we do. Do you ever do that? You're angry and you don't know why, or you're bummed out or depressed or anxious, and you haven't quite sussed it out. Like I've learned that about myself, that, that happens to me kind of a lot. And I think sometimes it's because I just like stuff down the things that upset me a little bit too much, and then they rise to the surface as frustration or anger or depression, and I haven't figured out what it was that started the thing. So I had to start a uh, thing. Actually, I learned about that in youth group, so it was 100 years ago, 20. Um, was, I had to start a practice of sitting and saying like, okay, why am I upset? Okay, I'm feeling snappy. Why am I snappy? Okay, that happened. No, that wasn't it. That happened, that happened. Oh, oh, that's why. Okay, and then once I can identify the thing, then I can bring before the Lord and be like, okay, Jesus, this is really painful. What do you say about this? Or I can just within myself say, okay, that had to do with an interaction that I need to let go. Or, okay, that's a conversation I need to have with a person, because if it's still bugging me at this point, I probably need to, to sit down and say, hey, I'm sure that wasn't your intention. I'm sure you would never you know, try to hurt me. But when you said such and such, it felt like you were doing this or saying this or intending this. Can you help me understand what you really meant by that? And, and doing that work helps us to know ourselves. But the crazy thing is that God already knew that he knows us so well that he knew why we were upset before we were annoyed, right? He saw that driver about to cut us off and he's like, Rebecca's not gonna like that one, right? And he goes, and I'm like, meh, and Jesus is like, meh. That's typical, that's typical, Rebecca, right? She's not appreciative of that. Um, so when we're going into Corinthians, what we're doing is we have this long tradition of God having known his people but his people only knowing him in part. Because who knew God? Like who heard from God in the Old Testament? It was the priests, right? I mean, you would bring your sacrifice and they would do your sacrifice for you for the things you had done wrong. The priests had encounters with God. The prophets, right, they heard the voice of God. The kings would hear God, right? He would lead them. But your average Joe didn't have an intimate relationship with God. They didn't hear from God on the regular. They didn't have access. And so you, you come out of this time of, of God knowing his people, but his people knowing him only in part. And then we come into Corinthians, which is after the death of Jesus. 
And Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age which are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what this is talking about is that limited understanding of God. Like if they understood who Jesus was, if they could see God with unshaded eyes, then they would know that he was the king of glory, and obviously they would not have killed him. They would not have thought he was blaspheming or all the other things that they laid to his charge. But now, because of Jesus, we can see clearly. 1 Corinthians 2.9, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And so what Paul's saying is, we didn't know, we didn't see, we didn't have God's wisdom, but now what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God which he's prepared for those who love him, that we can know this stuff. One of the things that's interesting in this passage is as, as it's written, and that's our cue as readers of the text, that there's somewhere else that this was talked about. And to understand, we have to see where else in the Bible did it say this thing? Like, why was Paul quoting somebody? What was that about? And that t- passage was Isaiah 64, 4, and it says, Since ancient times... No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So it's very similar, but it's not the same. Here's the one we're just looking at. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So what are the differences between these two? Like how was this principle talked about in the Old Testament versus how it was talked about in the New? The key difference is here. In Isaiah, they're talking about the people of God, the chosen ones, the ones who God is pouring out his love on, preparing this great stuff, are those who wait for him. And in 1 Corinthians, it's the things God has prepared for those who love him. So what are they waiting for in the Old Testament? They're waiting for the coming Messiah. They're remaining faithful to believe that God is going to come. And in that coming, he's going to not only cleanse our sins, but give us access to personal relationship. That he is going to dwell among us that he is going to make all things right. This is what they're waiting for. So Isaiah is saying, to those who can wait, who can be faithful, he will give. And in 1 Corinthians, it's saying, now that you have, these things are prepared for those who love God. 
And I think, did they love God in the Old Testament? Of course, but there's a different kind of loving God that's loving the God that you're, you know, serving and trying to please and and trusting in. And there's a difference between the intimate loving God, that I know God. I know why God put me here. I know what God thinks about this. I know what God says to me. I know that when I'm having a hard time, I can just come to a place of quiet and I can encounter God. I can access God. And that's the difference as we're looking at the kind of the Old Testament pushing forward. That we went from knowing about God to when Jesus came, knowing God. And I think we throw around the term, I know God. I know God, right? That's, that's kind of our go-to as people. Like, so are, are you a Christian? I mean, I know God. But what we're talking about isn't the knowing about, it's the intimate knowing. It's the relationship. Do I know God? Because when Jesus came, not only did he die for us, but the curtain that was between the Holy of Holies where the Spirit of God rested and the people tore. And so you see that God, not just in his temple or not just in the world, but Jesus having barbecues on the beach with his people, right? You see imagery of Jesus walking alongside them in Emmaus. You see images of Jesus entering into their pain personally, right? When Lazarus died, him crying. Knowing God, knowing him personally, and allowing him to enter into our life in a personal way. Let's read on 1 Corinthians 2.10. So the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. So what we have received is the spirit of God, and the spirit of God is what helps us to know him, is what reveals God to us. So who is God, if we're going to say, like, obviously, he's our father, he's this, he's that. But when Jesus came, it changed, and here's where. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who do we know? We know the truth. Before it was, we knew the God that we made sacrifice to, who cared for us, who we believed in, but now the sacrifice has already been made, and so we know God as the truth. And what does the truth do? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing God isn't something that happens in our head. It's a gut-level knowledge of the truth, of who God is and who we are because of him. And in that is freedom. At the cross, Jesus took our sins away, right? And he set us free from the things that we get stuck in, 
But I think there's another aspect that we sometimes push to the side, which is that he reveals us to ourselves, and he reveals himself to us. And so in our everyday, where is God? Where are the fingerprints of God? I mean, if we're knowing him, if he's setting us free, if he is remaining the truth, then how does that truth translate into our life? How does it translate in the way we talk to our neighbor? I mean, if we have freedom, then how does that impact the way we live? How does that impact the way we talk? And I think it can be a little tricky for people who've been a Christian for a long time because you, you find Jesus, right? And for a lot of us, when we were saved, when we came to know the Lord, it changed our life. Like the way we lived before and the way we lived after were different. Like we had some freedom. We, we didn't feel like we were bound up in, in all of the expectations from other people. But what can happen is that bondage can creep back in. And this is kind of where it creeps in because instead of just being bound to the expectations of others or the expectations of society or of our families or what we place on ourselves or the sins we get trapped in, sometimes then we get stuck in the bondage of, I have to please God. I have to do this right. I have to be this. I have to be that. I have to be enough. But the promise of God is in the relationship, in the knowing is freedom. Galatians 4, 8, 9, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Because relationship is a continual process of knowing knowing the truth, putting truth back on our inside. Like for me, sometimes I struggle with a little depression, right? And for me, the problem in that is that I don't believe in that space, in my heart, that God is stronger than what I'm feeling. Like I know it, but do you know what I mean? Like when you're in a depressed place, sometimes you feel like I just can't, I can't get out of this. I'm a little stuck. And I know that God is stronger, and I know that God is more powerful, but sometimes it feels like, but God, I don't know that I'm going to believe that I'm going to see your freedom here and now. Like, I don't know that in, you know, places of addiction, God, I know that you can free me, but I don't believe, there's a part of you that doesn't believe that he can do it now. Or if you struggle with anger or being unkind to your spouse or, you know, feeling lonely. Like, God, I know that you are my freedom. God, I know that you are my joy. I know that you're my kindness. But it's hard for us to believe sometimes that God can change it now. And so what this is saying is, you were set free. Don't get trapped back again. Don't get trapped back again in old habits. Don't get trapped back in trying to do it on your own. Because when we are in relationship with God, we are in relationship with the source of freedom. 
And freedom doesn't come by our efforts. Freedom doesn't come by us doing the right things or saying the right stuff. Freedom comes by knowing truth. And we speak that truth back into our lives. I know I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I know that the truth will set me free. Jesus, I know that you are my forever way out. Jesus, I know that you are stronger than this situation. And when we speak truth into our life, into our core, then freedom will meet us. Freedom will follow us. And we'll never find ourselves in a place that's too far for him to set us free. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not allow yourself to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom takes work. But the work isn't me just trying to be good enough. The work is taking it back to Jesus, taking it back to Jesus, taking it back to Jesus. Lord, I know what you have said and I will stand on that truth today. Today I choose to believe that you will pursue my children and I will not see them permanently ruined. Jesus, I know that you will pursue my heart and in the places that I'm having a hard time believing, freedom will meet me. It is for this freedom that we are set free. That's when we talk about, you know, we turn our lives over to Jesus. We're not talking about that as a one-time thing. This is a daily thing. This is a standing firm in this place. Today I choose to stand in a place where I'm surrendered to you, Lord. And in this relationship, speak truth to my insides. And in this place, God set me free. And I'm not gonna kill myself to become free. God, I'm gonna present myself as I am, and I'm gonna say, come Lord Jesus, and do the work. And that's the work that's on our side, but the work has been done at the cross. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ that sets us free, church. And that's true every day. That's true on a Thursday when you're angry in traffic, right? We don't just sin because we're just having a one-off experience. We sin because we have fundamental mindset issues. Like, I don't get short with my husband because I'm just bored. I get short with my husband because in that moment, I believed that my frustration was more important than his feelings. That was my flesh rising up. That wasn't the truth of Jesus. And so this is where we stand firm. Jesus, that's not who you are and that's not who I am. Cleanse me afresh. I will not go back into bondage. Lord Jesus, keep me free. Set me free. Let your Holy Spirit do the work inside of me so I don't fall back into old patterns, so I don't pick up new patterns. But the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit is from him. It's not from us. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to move into a time of communion. And I think communion is so powerful when we're talking about freedom. Because this was the first act of freedom. This was Jesus explaining to the people that after all these years of waiting, all these years of God pursuing his people, they were finally at the moment. And I think, church, for us, there's times in our life when God says, you have done this for however long, but this is the moment of your freedom. 
And so if you have never made a decision for Jesus, or you did a long time ago and you've fallen away, I wanna challenge you this morning that this might be your day of freedom. This might be the moment that you can look back on and say, that was when it all started to change for me. The gospel of Jesus isn't the gospel of, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna be better. It's the gospel of, I'm gonna stand before the Lord and say, whatever it is I have and am, take and do something with it. And believing that he can make our lives glorious. And for those of us who may have been in the faith for a little bit, if you feel like bondage has crept in, or you feel like, I just need another freedom point, I just need a refreshing, then this moment is for you too. This morning is for you too. That we believe we will be encountered by God every time we stand in his presence. And he's here, church. He comes with us. So if you have your communion thing, you can pull it out and you can stand with me as we take communion together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. When you take this, remember me. Let's take the cup together. And when we eat this bread and we take this cup, we're proclaiming, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until he comes. Can I have the prayer team come up, please? We're going to go into a song. Jeremy's going to lead us in a song. And we're going to have some ministry time. And I intentionally kind of made this sermon a little shorter so that we have space for this. Because I believe in my bones that this morning Jesus wants freedom for his people. And it doesn't have to be anything big, but it, ha- it has to be that we are comfortable coming to the Lord. It has to be that we are comfortable saying, Jesus, wash me with your truth. So as we sing this song, the ministry team's up here. I just want to encourage you to come get prayer, and then we'll uh, get back together for a benediction after.